Welcome to the Disability Advocacy Hour with the Family Cafe. I'm Joe McCann. And I'm Jeremy Countryman. And we're staff members here at the Family Cafe headquarters in Tallahassee, Florida. Since 1998, the Family Cafe has been providing opportunities for individuals with disabilities and their families to connect with each other, educate themselves about Florida's service delivery system, and develop the skills to influence public policy. We believe that for communities to become more inclusive of people with disabilities, their voices need to be heard. To help make that happen, we've created this podcast, the Disability Advocacy Hour. In this podcast series, we'll examine all facets of living with a disability and the issues impacting the disability community. Please keep in mind that the Family Cafe is a thoroughly nonpartisan organization, and any thoughts or opinions shared by invited speakers, ourselves, or other participants solely represent those individuals who do not necessarily reflect the positions of the Family Cafe. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Family Cafe Disability Advocacy Hour podcast. Uh, thanks for coming back for another episode. Yeah, man. I'm Jeremy Countryman, Program Director here at the Family Cafe, and I have my friend Joe McCann with me. Say hello to the people, Joe. Hello, people. How's it it's going? It's nice to see everybody. How are you doing, man? Not doing too bad. Not Good. doing too bad. New year, <clears throat> new attitude, 2021. Thank God. Thank God. I'm excited. It was a little, was a little sketchy in the beginning, but it's getting better from here. We're going to keep God together. willing. Yeah, yes, that's right. Uh, well, today we have a, a three excellent panelists that are going to talk to us a little bit about something that's going on here at the Capitol in the legislative session, and that's a piece of legislation and an effort to uh, promote the idea of supported decision-making. Yes. So don't worry if you're not sure exactly what that is or what it means, because we're going to get into the weeds about yeah, that here in the next that. few minutes. Correct. So with us today, I'm, and I'll let them introduce themselves, but we have Tony De Palma uh, with Disability Rights Florida, Viviana Bonilla-Lopez, and Michael Lincoln. Viviana is uh, Viviana and Michael are both the co-chairs for the Supported Decision-Making Florida group, uh, which is a statewide campaign, and they're going to talk about that, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. So, Tony, have at it, man. Thanks, Joe, um, and thanks so much uh, to you and Jeremy for inviting us on. Um, I've, I've had a chance to listen to a couple of these Disability Advocacy Hour podcasts, and I think they're a real important um, resource that Family Cafe is putting together. So we really appreciate the chance to come on. Um, so my name is Tony De Palma. Um, I'm uh, the Director of Public Policy at Disability Rights Florida um, up in our Tallahassee office. Um, and luckily today, uh, we have both co-chairs of the SDM for Florida uh, statewide coalition, um, Viviana Bonilla-Lopez and Mike Lincoln, like you mentioned. I'm going to throw it over to Viviana for an introduction and then to Mike as well. So take it away, Viviana. Mike and I are so happy to be here with you. I'll start by introducing what our coalition is. So we are a group of self-advocates, so people with disabilities who are advocating for themselves, their parents, we have disability advocacy organizations in our coalition as well, like Disability Rights Florida, DD Council, Center for Independent Living of South Florida, ARC of Florida, ARC of South Florida, the Florida Center for Inclusive Communities. It's a really broad coalition that is statewide. We also have people who've been guardians in our coalition and attorneys who've served guardians. So really it's a broad group of stakeholders who have had direct experience with the guardianship system and are looking for ways 
to create a new toolkit that will allow people with disabilities to get the support that they want and need from people they love and trust outside of the guardianship system. And that is called supported decision-making. And Mike is really the best person to talk about it because he is the first person in Florida to get out of a guardianship using supported decision-making. So Mike, can you tell us all what supported decision-making is and maybe a little bit about your story and how you know and are proof that supported decision-making works? Of course, Viviana. Um, hello, guys. My name is Michael Lincoln McCrate. Um, I'm a self-advocate for people with special needs. Um, as Viviana said, I'm the first person in the state that has supported decision-making here in uh, St. Lucie County. Um, and supported decision-making is basically just like an alternative to guardianship and a least restrictive option to guardianship. Um, when I was taken away from my dad back in 2014, um, or yeah, like I actually got a foster care at 2014, but when I was taken away from my dad um I felt like I didn't have the training to basically go into a group home um just to get some basic learning like basic cooking cleaning all that good stuff and then um I ended up being filed a petition of being a ward of the state um without me even knowing and had all my rights taken away and then back in 2016, um, I basically won all my rights back and was um, issued supported decision making. Awesome. So, hey, Tony, how about this? You know, just to kind of frame this, and we're going to dedicate this entire time today on on this issue because this is this is a hugely important an issue. You know, it's something that we hear about here. I mean, all the time. I mean, just from people who are involved with the Family Cafe and people who come to the cafe. I mean, we hear horror stories. Frame this in terms of, you know, what we've read about in the paper in terms of guardianship. I mean, I know there was, you know, the, the case in Orlando not too long ago and just some other ones. And so maybe maybe the question is better framed. Tell me why we're doing this. What's the issue we're, we're trying to get at? Well, uh, so thanks, Joe. That's a, that's a real big question. And I'm sure a lot of folks tuning in for this podcast have experiences with guardianship might be under a guardianship, might uh, be a guardian themselves. Um, and so it's important to understand that this, this movement, this effort, well, first of all, um, 12 other states and the District of Columbia have already codified a supported decision-making law. Um, another important thing to understand is in, in very broad strokes, supported decision-making is already uh, an allowable alternative to guardianship in the state. Um, the, the issue we find though, is that in chapter 744, which is our state's guardianship law, uh, you know, there's references throughout the chapter. There's good legislative intent throughout the chapter to make sure that guardianship is like a last resort mechanism and that the, there's appropriate um, consideration and uh, integration of less restrictive alternatives. So sometimes less restrictive alternatives can be a healthcare surrogate uh, designation, a power of attorney designation. Um, but although there's references throughout chapter 744 to less restrictive alternatives, um, we find in our own advocacy that there's lots of judges, lots of probate courts in the state, lots of people in exactly this position that aren't aware of what those alternatives are or what they could be um, or how to animate them in another regard. Uh, 
it, it probably bears mentioning that when we talk about guardianship, there's a distinction between plenary guardianship and limited guardianship. Um, so limited guardianship is uh, the removal of some delegable rights from an individual. So the right to contract, the right to marry, the right to travel freely that, as they want. Um, a plenary guardianship is the whole kit and caboodle. Um, that's the removal, the judicial removal of all delegable rights. Uh, and, you know, a problem we see is that there's some courts in the state, especially because our court systems are so taxed by how right. many guardianships there are in the state. There's some judges who, and some courts that uh, probably through no intentional fault of their own have just come into the habit of rubber stamping guardianships and maybe rubber stamping overly restrictive guardianships. Um, and so, you know, this bill that's been filed this session um, and been reviewed and worked on and put together by this coalition uh, is in response to that. It's trying to animate those less restrictive alternatives. It's trying to enumerate them. Um, and it's trying to propose a safe apparatus. Uh, so individuals in that position um, or, you know, at once a supported decision-making agreement is formed, these are, these are decision-makers. Um, and the people that assist them are supporters. That's something we'll talk about a lot today is the, the distinction between, you know, being under a guardianship as a ward, quote unquote, versus uh, being the subject of a supported decision-making agreement where you're referred to as a decision-maker. Um, and as opposed to a guardian who sort of exercises your rights, decision makers um, rely upon the uh, input and experiences and advice of their chosen supporters for any one of these, these rights that might otherwise be removed. Um, and so, again, I, as, much as, as much as this is certainly legislation and this is certainly a concept that uh, is, I guess I'll say, uh, you know, something that goes against the how guardianship has sort of been solidified in the state. And therefore, it's probably opening some people's eyes to my goodness, what are they proposing? What does this mean? What, what oversight is there? How do we keep people safe in these arrangements? It's important to note that it's not nearly pitted guardianship versus SDM. Um, I think everyone in the coalition and, and myself included, understand that, uh, you know, guardianships can be useful instruments um, on occasion and can produce the necessary protections for individuals under guardianship. This isn't sort of uh, an, an abolitionist. It's not an alternative to, to guardianship. Right. It's, it's an alternative. Uh, we think if we could build a time machine and go back into the 70s and 80s and 90s when Florida's guardianship laws were putting, being put together, if I would have been a, a, a bird buzzing in any of those legislators' ears, I would have mentioned to them, you know, we, we really need to animate what these alternatives are. We really need to give thought to what this legislative intent means. If you open up chapter 744, and I don't know who has statute books to open up anymore anyways, but if you do and all the dust comes off, you'll notice that legislative intent is enumerated right at the beginning. And it's, it's powerful, meaningful legislative intent that we feel honestly was a placeholder for this discussion that's uh, being reinvigorated in 2021. Well, you'll be happy to know Joe right here is sitting on a stack of Florida statute books. Funny. You know, he always Funny. has them readily available. Yes. Um, you know, I'm kind of curious to that end. It sounds like, you know, if for the layperson out there, you probably think, oh, there's guardianship on one side and there's independence on the other side. And what you're describing is that it seems like if you look at the actual law that's on the books now, there is a little bit of flexibility in what guardianship looks like. You know, there's powers of attorney, there's healthcare surrogates, there's room for those kinds of things in there. So my question is, 
what specifically is in this proposed legislation that you know makes it different from what's already on the books now you know is this is this some is this an issue of we need to change the laws specifically so things work differently or is there also kind of a component of we need to educate people out there in the world about the fact that there's a continuum between guardianship and independence right. and it's not just either or like is it so i'm, I'm curious because the first part of that question is what specifically is in this piece of legislation? And the second part is kind of about that public awareness end of it. So that's a great question, Jeremy. And um, I'm gonna throw it to Viviana and Michael in just one second. I'll mention real quick that, so this is a big bill. Uh, if you look at the legislation that's been filed, um, it's 30 or 40 pages long. It's in the weeds. Um, it prescribes a form that can be used uh, to um, structure supported decision-making arrangements. Um, and uh, again, it's uh, well, that's probably a good place for me to throw it to Viviana in terms of like what's in the bill um, and also to Mike in terms of what it all means. So we love to say that this is adding another tool to the toolbox. So when a person with a disability needs some support with making their decisions, they have a couple options available to them. They have powers of attorney, they have healthcare surrogate designations, and then if they can't make any decisions on their own, there's guardianship and there's guardian advocacy. But there are people who will need some support, some advice, but they don't want to give people permission to act on their behalf because they're able to act on their own behalf already. So what is there really for them? And that is where supported decision-making comes in to sort of fill that gap and to complement the other option. So it's just another tool in the toolkit. It doesn't mean that guardianship and guardian advocacy won't be available. In fact, supported decision-making can work with those things. So that's really important to note. We're only adding to the toolkit. We're not taking anything away from the toolkit. And the supported decision-making law makes it so that judges, parents, people with disabilities, hospitals, banks, all know what supported decision-making is and how to use it and how it's supposed to work. So we're really just adding clarity. I represent people with disabilities every day in setting up supported decision-making agreements and using supported decision-making in court to get out of a guardianship. So I know that it is allowed currently under Florida law and we're using it successfully. But in order for it to be a tool that's available to everyone in Florida, and that really works for everyone, we want to put it in the law. The law is where we state what our values are and, and kind of all get on the same page. So that is really the goal of this legislation. It will require judges to specifically consider supported decision-making and other alternatives to guardianship, which we have now defined and given clarity to what that means in the statute. And they have to consider those before they appoint a guardian. It also creates a new chapter, chapter 746, that says, okay, so what is supportive decision-making? Who can be a supporter? Who can be a decision-maker? What capacity does a person have to have to be able to sign a supportive decision-making agreement? And what needs to be in the supportive decision-making agreement? So these are things that it will be better for everyone in Florida if we have clarity and we're all on the same page about what those things should be. And so it's really just creating a better guideline for how to use supported decision-making, which is something that has been allowed and has been 
been done for many years. And in fact, Mike is the best example of that. He has been using supported decision-making since he got out of his guardianship. And it might be helpful to talk about how Mike uses supported decision-making because a lot of this conversation has been sort of high level. What does the bill say? But I think the best way for people to get on board is to understand how it works day to day. So Mike, can you talk to us about how you actually use supportive decision-making in your daily life? And, and can I just inter- say one, one thing? I mean, I would love to hear Michael's story too. In the context of that, Michael, can you kind of tell us how you got here? Um, can you explain that question like a little bit more in detail? Yeah, I, I mean, I kind of want to hear your story. I want to hear what oh, happened okay. to you, how you got to this place, and then to Viviana's question, how you know how you use it in a, on a daily basis. So, um, like I said, when I was about um, about twelve or teenage years, I was taken away from my father because my father was being incarcerated just because of some crimes that he kind of like committed but not in per se committed um and so I was taken away and put in DCF custody um and basically what that means is um I was basically in state custody so I had to basically um you know go into foster care be in a group home all that just to make sure that um just, just to make sure I was taken care of. Well, I aged out of foster care when I was about 15 or 16 years old. And um, I wasn't quite ready to live on my own. So basically, I went into, uh, into a group home. Um, and I didn't really like how the guardianship was working. So basically, what ended up happening is I um, called Disability Rights and I... Um, basically advocated for myself to get out of the guardianship, which at that time, a lot of people were like, oh, you can't get out of the guardianship. There's no possible way. Once the guardianship is there, it's there. There's no way to get out of it. So how I use supportive decision-making is I use it kind of like the chain of command, just like law enforcement. So let's say, let's say um, I'll use, on, when I'm on, when I have to go out of town or something, especially for work, um, I do a lot of traveling because of, you know, just, I like to get out of town. So anytime I go out of town, I actually go down the chain of command and make sure that everyone is on board of where I'm going, what I'm doing, and just to make sure people think it's a good idea. And if it's a good idea, I can make the ultimate decision do I do go or do I not go? So, you know, I use it during the day-to-day life as well, like major medical decisions or maybe even kind of like um, kind of like finances, you know. I go with my rep payee just to see, oh, okay, is it good to, for me to spend this amount of money at um, – at McDonald's or something. So just like major decisions, but I use my support team for those decisions and even major ones. And what Mike does is 
pretty relatable. Most of us ask for advice when we're going to make decisions where we just need some expertise. For example, I don't know anything about cars. And anytime I need to make decisions about repairs, I have to ask someone else for support because the mechanic will tell me what's wrong with my car and I'll just be sort of nodding because I, I really have no idea what he's saying. So this is a pretty intuitive concept and supported decision-making is something that we all use. Some people will benefit from writing it down in a supported decision-making agreement where I say, mom is helping me with my healthcare. She's gonna to come to appointments with me. My dad's helping me with my bank account and I want him to be able to deposit money in my bank account. So I'm gonna authorize him with the power of attorney to do that. There are a lot of ways to get advice from people and supported decision-making is just a formal way to do that. And this law is gonna give clarity about what is the proper way to do that in Florida, where we can make sure that everybody involved is doing things the right way, that people with disabilities are protected. And a great thing about supported decision-making is that there are lots of studies that have found that increased self-determination helps people with disabilities better protect themselves from abuse and neglect. So you were asking us about that um, instance of guardianship abuse that was in the news last year and supported decision-making is a really great tool because if someone doesn't need a guardianship, we really don't want to put them in a place where they can be taken advantage of. And supported decision-making is a better way for them to get that support that they need and be developing the skills to protect themselves, be having more than one person involved in their life. So that if one person tries to take advantage of them, there's someone else to say, hey, that's, that's not cool. So it's really a way to allow people more control over their lives when they don't need something as restrictive as guardianship and guardian advocacy. But again, if someone needs those tools, they are still going to be available. This law doesn't affect the availability of guardianship or guardian advocacy at all. And I'll just add one more thing before turning it back to you all to see what else we should talk about is Mike is an expert unsupported decision-making, not just because he's living it, which is a pretty big deal, but also Mike has been really involved in drafting this bill and leading this coalition. And so it's also a, a policy expert on this issue and has been very instrumental in putting this together. And we're, we're very proud to have him involved in this. That is really cool to have somebody who's actually, you know, lived it involved in the legislative process as opposed to, you know, having some kind of yeah. policymakers come along and do studies and figure <laughs> this might be something good to do. This seems like it's really a grassroots thing that comes out of the real world experience of people with disabilities. Well, and let me ask you this question, because one of the things that we that, you know, you hear about in terms of the nightmare scenarios and, you know, this is maybe kind of a stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Oh, good. You know, you hear about these scenarios where the guardian either group or person has a financial interest in the the guardian not spending their own money right i mean mm -hmm. a is that true and and b you know i mean obviously this is a major solution to that and ultimately you know what an inspiration you are michael in terms of you know your independence i mean you didn't get to choose any of that that scenario that you talked about i mean you're you know minding your own business living your life and, you know, based on other people's actions, you know, you find yourself in this situation. And really, it's incredibly impressive the self-determination that you had. But, but, but Viviana or Tony, I mean, 
you know, how does that work in, in the scenarios that we hear about where, you know, people aren't able to take a vacation or, you know, go on a cruise because your guardian says, you know, you shouldn't spend the money that way. And you're like, you know, but it's my money. And, and how, how do you, are there scenarios where, you know, when the person is, when the person passes away or something, does somebody get to keep that money? How does that work? So I'll, I'll, Deanna, in a sec, um, I just wanted to mention that when, when earlier we were talking about abuse, neglect, exploitation, so fl- financial abuse and the possibility for financial exploitation is certainly at the core of a lot of what can go wrong in a guardianship. Um, when you delegate that, uh, your own individual right to uh, manage your finances or your own individual right to travel out of county or to take that cruise, um, you know, there's a there's a process that Social Security establishes, which, again, is just one aspect of possible financial exploitation where you can have a representative payee designated um, at Disability Rights Florida. We actually have a whole team uh, reviewing representative payee arrangements, which, you know, sort of catapults those that part of our staff into uh, lots of guardianship discussions. Um, you know, not every representative payee uh, is um assigned as such through a guardianship apparatus, but certainly when you're doing representative payee review and trying to make sure that people aren't being exploited, uh, you come across many elements of financial exploitation. And I'm sure Viviana can kind of add some some layers to that. Well, I'll say that guardianship, if it works the way that it's supposed to under statute in practice, if everyone was doing things the way that they were supposed to do then, things would look a little differently than they often do. So here at Disability Rights Florida, we represent people with disabilities who are facing some sort of legal issue, right? People who have uh, experienced some sort of injustice. So we see all of the horror stories and we kind of see it whenever it goes wrong. And so I'll frame this by saying that we do understand that there are guardians out there who are good people, who care about the people under their care, who involve them in their life as much as possible. And, and who are there for them. But we also see when it goes wrong and as an attorney and especially an attorney representing people with disabilities, that's, we see it often enough where we can say this is an issue that we need to be worried about. So the Florida statute says that people under guardianship should retain as much involvement of their life as possible. In practice, that doesn't tend to happen. And there are sort of two different types of guardians. There are guardians who are family members and they are taking care of someone, maybe their child. And by child, I mean parent-child relationship, right? Because that person is an adult, but the their offspring, if <laughs> they wanna be scientific about it. And then there are guardians who are appointed by the court and they are not related to that person. And they get paid by that person from their estate to manage their affairs. And then there are also public guardians who are appointed by the state to take care of people who are indigent, meaning people who don't have financial resources. So a lot of the stories that you see in the news are about those private guardians who I'm appointed to take care of a person with a disability who is my quote unquote ward. We don't, we don't like that term used person under guardianship. I'm appointed to take care of this person under guardianship. And I'm paid for from this person under guardianship's estate. So from their bank account. And I also decide how the money in their bank account is spent. 
So if I, if my, the person under my care calls me to ask me for advice, I can charge say $20 an hour for that conversation and I pay myself. And you know, that is, I'm doing, I'm providing a service. I'm being paid for the court decides if that is an appropriate fee for me to earn. So all of that is proper under the law, but it also means that any purchase that I want to do with that person's money, I'm the one who does it. I get paid to do it. And I also make sure that it was done appropriately with the court also monitoring me to make sure that I'm doing that right with requirements for me to tell the court how I'm spending that money. Part of the issue is that there are so many guardianships that it's really hard for the court to properly monitor everything that's going on. So you have the guardians who are doing the right thing, they're reporting it, and, and everything is proper. And then you'll have the people who are sort of taking advantage of the fact that the courts are overwhelmed with cases and are not able to really look into it as carefully as they should. And so they're, they're taking advantage of the fact that kind of nobody's watching and they can engage in this exploitation. Another weird thing about guardianship is that the person under guardianship is paying for the guardian and is also paying for the guardian's attorney. And then if they need their own attorney, they're also paying for their own attorney. So it ends up in a weird situation where if I'm a person under guardianship and I want to get my rights back, uh, I have to pay for my guardian to pay for their attorney to oppose me. And then I have to pay for an attorney to do what I actually want. So it gets really expensive for me if I want to get my rights back. And if I'm under guardianship and I've lost my right to contract, I can't hire an attorney. My guardian has to hire an attorney for me where the court has to appoint one. So wow. it gets a little bit complicated and you can see that there are a lot of layers here where it's really hard to get out of a guardianship if you already are under one. And it's also really hard to say what you want and to get what you want honored if you don't have a guardian who's a good person who cares about you and who's focused on you and for some guardians this is a business so it gets a little bit complicated again there are good guardians but there are also people who can take advantage and if they want to take advantage they can it's not super hard to do so because of because of how overwhelmed the courts are frankly but again you know, I think it's important to, to think of this as a tool that's going to help us with the issue of abuse and neglect and exploitation, but also not to perceive supported decision making as anti-guardianship because that's not our intent. We're not trying to say that that guardianship is never going to be the only option available for someone under Florida law. I mean, maybe in a perfect world, things would be different, but with things as they are, we understand that maybe for someone there will be nothing but guardianship and that's the only thing that's going to work for them and that tool will still be available. But supported decision-making can really be incorporated into that. And actually our bill allows supported decision-making to be used as part of guardianship. So people under guardianship could use supported decision-making to work with their guardians or other people to help develop their skills. Because under Florida law, guardians are supposed to make sure that they're helping people get out of guardianship. It's every year they're yeah. supposed to tell the court what they did. That was kind of what I was thinking. That's what I was thinking about kind of an important part of this. And one thing I thought might follow up is, you know, if I'm someone listening to this and I'm in a guardianship situation, does this legislation specifically provide some kind of off ramp to get out of guardianship? 
chip it into a support decision-making relationship that would address the kind of thing you're talking about where I'm paying for my own right. lawyer and my opponent's lawyer and like, you know, I'm kind of yeah. locked in. Yeah, you can use, so the bill allows people under guardianship to use supported decision-making. If they are wanting to use supported decision-making for rights that a guardian is currently handling for them, that guardian will have to give them permission. But it's a pretty great tool because again, there are great guardians out there who are helping people with disabilities and generally want them to get out of the guardianship as soon as they can. I've worked with people like that, with parents who, you know, when maybe when their child was 18, they were told by the school, you need a guardianship. And they were like, oh, okay, well, I want to protect my child. I'll do that. And now five, six, seven years later, they're like, well, I'm not sure if that was the right choice or maybe my child is now better able to make their own decisions and I would like something else. And so those guardians can incorporate supported decision-making, can start using it and develop proof and evidence that we can then present to a court and say, look, this person can manage their own money. They do it with the help of their mother. They sit down every month and they create a budget and then they use their debit card on their own to make purchases. Or look, this person can make healthcare decisions. The way that they do it is using supported decision-making. Mom goes with them to the doctor and helps explain things and then they make their own medical choices. So it's a good way to practice those decision-making skills and create sort of a plan for how things are gonna work when we're out of guardianship. And then we can take that to the judge and say, judge, look how cool we have this alternative. It's better for this person. It complies with that requirement under Florida law that we do the less restrictive option possible. Don't you think this is a good idea? And we've done that in Michael's case. And we've also done that in a couple other cases. One of them was on the front page of the Miami Herald, Tyler Bordhas, who's also in our coalition, who's also helping us draft this bill. So yes, we are not um, forgetting about people under guardianship. Supported decision-making can be a great tool for them. And I've been, when I'm talking to guardians and to attorneys who represent guardians saying, this is a really cool tool for you because under Florida law, you are supposed to say, what are you doing to help this person regain capacity? It is a requirement under Florida law that you do that every year. And now you'll be able to say, oh, I'm using supportive decision-making. So it's a, it's a really great tool and option even for people in that guardianship system. Um, could I underscore something that Viviana has mentioned real quick? So uh, when, 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 when I learned of supported decision-making, I was most excited, of course, in terms of how self-determinative uh, the vehicle is, in terms of how rights-respective the vehicle is. I, I came to my understanding of guardianship as an attorney on staff at, at Disability Rights Florida. And what Viviana is saying about the difficulty in disentangling a guardianship when there is some suggestion of capacity or proof of capacity, it is a slog. It's very difficult. It involves going to the court and pleading and, you know, experts reviewing documents. And it's not as easy as just saying like, hey, I want out. Um, so uh, that's, that, that is very true about this, this idea. Another thing that bears mentioning though, is, is how taxed our court system is in the state with this guardianship review. Um, as recently as 2017 or 2018, there were more than 7,000 active guardianships in the state, all requiring court review no, Tony, that was actually not active guardianship. Those were just the number filed that year. So on top of that, we have the active guardianships from the year before. Good goodness. So uh, so that yeah. 
example of this is even a little bit more of a tax on on the court system. And so, you know, every one of those guardianships require annual reporting. Every one of those guardianships, if they want to receive rights back or they require court review, it all has to go in front of a judge, in front of a docket. Our probate courts, our probate judges are, are taxed by the amount of guardianships. And there's a cost to that. For sure, there's there's a there's a fiscal cost to that. So as this bill sort of progresses through the process, especially in a year, and I'm surprised we're at like the 35 minute mark on the podcast and haven't talked about COVID yet. But you know, especially in a session when there's a whole bunch of folks in the process reviewing dollars and cents and what makes good fiscal sense and how to alleviate some of this burden on the court system. You know, we believe that yes. Supported decision making is a responsive vehicle to a whole bunch of the autonomous issues involved and invoked by COVID-19 in terms of individuals being to exercise their own medical decision making during a global pandemic or their own housing decisions during a global pandemic or being able to say, I don't want to live in a congregate facility any longer. I'm scared here. I, I, I feel at risk. I feel susceptible here. So there's all of those COVID elements. There's also this element that if the state really is in a budget crunch, and, and I stay closely attuned to how much of a budget, uh, you know, problem there is at the moment, and there is one, you know, this is something that I think legislators should look at as a way to, to alleviate that burden on courts. Um, and and uh, again, I, we've, we've talked to this point and, you know, the, the, like I mentioned, the bill is 40 pages long. It is dense. It's in the weeds. We don't want to give the appearance to anyone listening to this that that means that it's not, this isn't something they can engage in. I'm, I'm really uh, upset with myself that this isn't what I began with. But just so everyone knows, this campaign we're talking about, it's called the I Decide campaign. The website you can go to to learn more about all of this is www.idecideflorida.org. Um, there's way, so the bills are on that page. There's explainers, there's frequently asked questions, um, there's personal stories, there's a way to contact your legislator and let them know how you feel about all of this. Um, there's a way to become a part of this discussion. Again, anyone who, who watches the legislative process knows that, uh, you know, there's, there's no guarantee, by and large, of any bill that's introduced, you know, guaranteed to pass. So this is going to be a conversation for the next two months at the Capitol. And we would encourage everyone who's interested in this, everyone who might have perspective or expertise or experience in this realm to go to idecideflorida.org and review all the information and see how you feel. Um, and I might be speaking for Viviana and Mike here, but I know that the coalition we've put together, the SDM for Florida coalition, that's been reviewing this legislation, putting it together, kind of amending it, editing it, trying to make it read well, that's a big table. And there's a lot of seats at that table. And I know Viviana and Mike have done a great job pulling a lot of stakeholders, a lot of interested parties into the discussion. Sometimes parties that are brought into the discussion have different thoughts or, or, or you know, the, the mere mention of guardianship sort of provokes uh, feelings inside of them. Like, are you saying I've done this wrong all this time? Are you saying I'm a bad person? And, you know, to, to underscore what Viviana is saying, that's certainly not a suggestion. But, you know, even folks who themselves might be guardians or might be under guardianship or might have sort of different thoughts about guardianship. Again, the, by my read, these laws were put on the books in the early 70s, 1974, I believe. And uh, the, 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 the Protection and Advocacy Network that Disability Rights Florida is a part of, um, we came into existence in 1977. A whole bunch of the really awesome disability rights things that have happened started right after guardianship was put in place. 
um, the 504 sit-ins, the, the capital uh, crawl, as it's known, you know, a whole right. of like all of this coalescing around the importance of disability rights, uh, disability autonomy, sort of coalesced after guardianship was put in place. So there's always been this natural friction between, you know, guardianship as a vehicle that removes rights just by definition and, you know, other alternatives, less restrictive alternatives that the legislature itself has expressed an intent to explore and make sure judges and courts consider as a different way forward. And the last thing I'll say, Joe, is we've talked so much about how guardianship and supported decision-making impact people with disabilities. It's also important to mention that, of course, there are lots of seniors in Florida, lots of older citizens in Florida, older Floridians who themselves are under guardianship. Um, you know, it's a real interesting discussion in terms of, you know, there's a lot of seniors out there who don't identify as, as having a disability. You, you acquire disabilities as you age um, in a lot of different regards. A lot of just the condition of being in your 70s or 80s, you know, sort of in, involves disabilities. So, you know, anyone who's listening to this conversation, just know that we're, we're talking about both realms here. We're talking about seniors who might not even identify as having a disability under a guardianship. At the same time, we're talking about folks with disabilities who are under guardianships. There's, Viviana mentioned this, there's a natural inertia in our state laws in terms of what that transition age uh, sort of element looks like. Uh, a lot of folks, as they're turning 16 or 17, their families, they themselves, their educators, people in their, in their advocacy sphere are like, well, you're about to turn 18. And the only way for us to make sure you're safe and, and taken care of is to you know, petition the court to move you under this guardianship. So there's a natural tug towards guardianship that, again, if, if we're all sort of of the opinion that there are less restrictive alternatives, that Chapter 744 uh, requires a constant review of when an individual can be moved from under guardianship, you know, it, it, that inertia, that centrifugal force sort of runs opposite to all of that legislative intent. And so as much as this vehicle, uh, and again, I'm hoping we'll get a chance to talk about bill numbers and sponsors in a sec, but mm -hmm. as much as this vehicle uh, is, um, is, you know, a, a big bill trying to do a big thing. There's a whole bunch of other parts of Florida law that, that evidence that inertia that, you know, in the grand scheme of things in successive sessions, we'd like to go through and kind of review with legislators, policymakers, stakeholders, just to make sure that, uh, you know, an idea that was put together three, four or five decades ago um, and might not be perfectly molded for the day in the moment of 2021, especially in a pandemic, especially when our autonomy is such an important part of like all of our decision-making. Um, you know, there's a lot of work to be done and this is a much bigger discussion than just a bill. Tony, it's a great segue. Let's, let's, uh, let's wrap it up a little bit with the, the sort of give us a legislative update of kind of where the bill is. I understand there's a really nice little bipartisan effort here underway. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So Joe, you say bipartisan. Um, I agree. It's bipartisan. I'll also mention it's nonpartisan because um, yeah. I think this issue is nonpartisan. I think this issue supersedes party uh, designation. Um, so in the House of Representatives, uh, the bill sponsor um, for House Bill 681, I apologize, uh, I have a phone ringing. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm not going to answer it. But House Bill 681 uh, is sponsored by Representative Allison Tant. Um, so Representative Tant, interestingly, was the former uh, Democratic Party of Florida chair uh, before becoming a member. Representative Tant is a new member of the Florida House, and yeah. some were very excited to be a part of the discussion for lots of reasons that I'm sure Representative Tant can explain herself. 
Um, and to your point, Joe, uh, and sorry about that phone, but in the Senate, um, Senate Bill 1010 is sponsored by Senator Joe Gruders out of the 23rd District of Florida. Um, and Senator Gruders, as folks listening might know, is the current Republican Party of Florida chair. So we have, we have again, yes, bipartisanship, and, and that's needed to move, move legislation in the state. But I, I think more than anything, in my mind, that's sort of a refraction of the fact that this is a nonpartisan issue and that you, you can put your party designation aside and have this discussion, not just between yourselves, because that's where politicians go wrong a lot of times, is, is they're just in back rooms in Tallahassee, but with a broad coalition of people, stakeholders, people with questions, people with thoughts, people with experiences, <coughs> table and having this discussion. And that's why we're so lucky that Representative Tant and Senator Gruders um, understand the importance of this bill uh, and, and kind of what it would mean to kind of, again, not make something that is illegal or not allowed at the moment legal or allowable, but to just codify this to, I mean, Mike, Tyler, these are, these are folks who've gotten their rights back out from under a guardianship with the supported decision-making agreement. It's already allowed, but this would codify it and show others in the state, other judges, other families, other people who might themselves kind of be inertiaed into these guardianships that there's different ways. There's ways to retain rights. There's ways to rely upon decision-makers you trust, people you trust. And that's why we're most excited about this. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be nice to not have to explain to the judges or other people, hey, you know, this isn't, this is, we can still do this. We don't need the law to pass. I mean, I understand how that works. That's, that can be, uh, you know, it, it take a less than Herculean effort to get stuff done. And yeah. I'm sure it would make it a lot easier. I, I think kind of the notion that it's not going, it's going to alleviate the uh, stress on the court system and potentially save money. I mean, that's always a big selling point when you're going in there talking about any piece of legislation, because oftentimes yeah. I, th I know, Joe, you've experienced this. The first question is, what is this going to cost? So right. if you can say this is going to cost less than what you're doing now. That's always a good selling point. Absolutely. Yeah, and and, and a, that's something that I think lots of policymakers in Tallahassee, especially in a year like this year, are are staying attuned to. You know, when we when we brought this to certain legislators, uh, you know, beginning last year, there was lots of talk that, hey, you know, this this session 21 is going to be all about the budget and all about COVID response. Uh, I have a 35 page bill tracking chart at the moment that, shows that that's not necessarily the case. But it does bear mentioning that even though the legislature is hyper focused on COVID, hyper focused on making sure the budget aligns and and uh, is um, and is passed as such, this issue is very much a COVID issue. It's very much a self-autonomous issue. It's very much a rights respective issue. We believe that if, if more courts, more folks in the state, more judges understood the possibility of this, the, the intricacies of this, the, the feasibility of this, that during COVID or, or whatever other you know, emergency in the future, pandemic in the future, there'd be lots of folks who have more control over how their life is going. Um, and the different decisions on their plate at any one moment, whether that's, hey, should I spend this money on, um, you know, a, a happy meal at McDonald's or can I go on a cruise with my friends? Um, hey, I live in Broward and I'd like to uh, go to the beach in, in Miami, you know, whatever that looks like. Um, or, you know, stuff as important as, hey, I don't want to be in a group home. Um, I don't want to be in an ICF. I don't like the way that this arrangement's working. I think I can exercise some of these rights. You know, I, I think... Again, because of that inertia, because of that tendency for judges to rubber stamp, 
that's not always heard loud and clear. Um, you know, and so we think this is a vehicle to help on the front end of things. Also, like Viviana was saying, on the back end of things for folks in these in these predicaments. Let me just say this: Thank God for you guys, because you know what a what an incredible job you're doing. You know, this is one of those issues that, I mean, you get in the legal weeds real fast with a lot of precedent-setting things and a lot of outstanding cases. And I'll just, I mean, it's just like an avalanche of of those types of issues. So I just I appreciate that you all have the expertise to get into the details of this and, and, you know, somebody between let's give people more autonomy and how do we actually do it from a legal yeah. standpoint? And cause that is a long way. So good job. And thank you for doing this. Yeah. Cause at the same time, you know, it, you do oftentimes have to get into the weeds to figure these things out. But the other yeah. thing that I appreciate and we appreciate here at the family cafe is that, really the center of this effort it's about empowering people and giving them more independence and you know there's kind of a continuum of independence between i'm in a guardianship and i have no control over what happens to my life to uh you know i have complete control over what happens in my life as an adult and the further people can go up that ladder of full independence you know the more rich their lives are going to be and the more rich our society is going to be as a result of that so you know i think it's a really important work uh just to kind of support that idea that every individual has a right to sort of self-determination and to uh, an existence in the community and contribute to our society. So the and, fact that you're doing that work to yeah. kind of connect that idea with, you know, specific legislative needs, that's a, an essential connection to be made. Absolutely. And I'm sure, listen, I'm sure that the guardianship universe out there, I mean, like Viviana said, and I think it's important to note too, you know, these are 99% of the time, good people doing important, thankless work. And they got to be thrilled that there's other options out there to give people more independence. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that's... I guess the last question I'd have um, is, you know, you mentioned I decide florida.org is the place to go to learn more about this. If there are people out there listening who are thinking, wow, this is really awesome. I'd love to support this. I'd love to follow it. I'd like to know more about it. How would they go about doing that? You know, I mean, I guess the first step would go to be to uh, go to idecideflorida.org. But are you kind of looking for people to support this, and uh, how can they make that happen? So uh, I'd make the plug here that that the website idecideflorida.org, Florida is all spelled out. There are a ton of great self advocacy tools, a, a ton of great uh, ways to become involved, a, a ton of great ways to uh, write to your legislator and let them know how you feel. Uh, and you know, you have to use the templates that are provided. If you have other thoughts in the matter, please, please let your legislators know. You know, that, that's, that's what policy is. Policy isn't uh, standing up and saying, this is the only way we're right. Policy is a table. Policy requires people to sit down and talk. You know, there's lots of uh, jurisdictional sections of the Florida bar. Um, the real property trust in uh, probate section, the elder law section. You know, these are, these are sections of, of the Florida bar that have been constructed over time to kind of look at these issues and, you know, their thoughts are solidified. For a lot of those folks, supported decision-making is like, uh, you know, a, a shakeup, something that's like maybe scary or maybe something they need to sit and sort of learn about. Um, but even, even folks who have different opinions are invited to the table, invited to, to the discussion. Um, because the, the worst thing that could happen is for Florida to pass a law without hearing everyone's perspectives. Um, so again, I, I, I recommend everyone to go to www.idecideflorida.org 
um, to learn more about the SDM for Florida Coalition. Uh, and the last thing, I don't know if I get to pick who gets the last word, but I, I just want everyone to know Mike at the moment is working security for Clover Field in St. Lucie, uh, where the Mets, the New York Mets, the everyone. Oh, here we go. <laughs> uh, play, plays their spring training ball. And so, Mike, I wanted to know, how's, how's that going and how are the Mets looking? <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to put that up somewhere in this darn podcast. Um, it's good. Um, we got a lot of security precautions ready for the New York Mets. But, you know, I'm kind of bummed because I didn't get to play baseball with the New York Mets this year huh. because of the Special Olympics not wanting to to have the Mets stay. But then again, Tim Tebow ain't there, so I don't know. Um, but, um, no, I'm excited. I'm actually pumped because I'm actually working pretty much every spring training game oh, for the cool. New York Mets. I'll be actually right next to the Mets dugout, working wow. security, making sure crazy fans don't jump over That's the me. fence again yeah, like, like Tony. they did last me, year. Mike. Yeah. Hey, uh, if you're working security your for friend, the Mets. doesn't mean you can let them run onto the field, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> hey, make sure that no one uh, gets anywhere near our shortstop. Francisco Lindor, Mr. Smile is his nickname. Mike, that's, you have one month. Make sure Francisco Lindor's legs, arms, blue hair, everything stays intact, okay? Protect Francisco yeah, at all costs. I have Michael. to know, Tony, when are you going to dye your giant beard to match Francisco Lindor's blue hair? Because I feel like kind of like a blue and orange yeah. beard would be a good spring training look for you. Yeah. Jeremy, if the Mets start the season 5-0, and you will see a blue and orange beard for me, I promise. That is awesome. See, unfortunately, we're taping this, Tony. So, um, <laughs> yeah, we're going to hold you to that, bro. Yeah, well, we'll come back. We'll come back and do a video on that if the beard if the beard thing happens. All right. Um, well, thank you. You know, transition-wise, first of all, thanks, Tony, from Disability Rights, and thanks, Viviana and Michael, from the uh, Support Decision Making for Florida Coalition. It was great to have you guys here today. Um, I appreciated that point about we were making at the end there about how um, people need to get engaged and have conversations with uh, their legislators and other stakeholders and stay attuned to what's going on during the legislative session. And that's an awesome transition because one of the what? awesome things, fantastic what? things we do here yes. at the Family Cafe every year during the state legislative session, which to Joe is kind of like Christmas season. That's you know, right. He gets excited. Yep. Well, okay. We, <laughs> we host our Let's Talk legislative conference call series here at the family cafe so every friday throughout the legislative session at four o'clock 4 p.m we'll be hosting a conference call here we're going to have joe facilitating it we're going to have a series of you know people with different issues going on different experts talking about what's happening uh during the legislative session throughout the process and uh we're hoping if this is something you guys are invested in you want to know what's happening in tallahassee what policymakers and legislators are doing, please do join us for the Let's Talk pod, uh, podcast. It's not a podcast. The Let's Talk right. conference call. Yeah, we might need to Friday revisit that now in the new reality of the world. But yeah, as Jeremy says, it's just an update on legislative activity from the week, every week. And as we get toward the end of session, stuff is moving really fast. And so it's it's a, it's a big, uh, it's we, we spend some effort and energy trying to keep up with all of the issues, not just the budget, but issues like this. So Tony, don't go far, man. Yes. You'll be getting the call uh, for some of these because of your expertise, not only in this issue, but in other issues. And you guys do such a great job 
uh, of advocating uh, in the legislature. And we just, we appreciate what you do. And um, thanks, Joe. So, and yeah. just so everyone knows too, this is another shameless plug. But Disability Rights Florida just put out their 2021 um, legislative priorities. If you go to our website, there front and center. Um, if anyone wants to review them, just send me an email. Uh, my email address is Tony D, so T-O-N-Y-D at disabilityrightsflorida.org. All of that is unfortunately spelled out. Um, but I'd love to connect with other folks who are looking, you know, uh, courts, education, housing, yes. criminal justice, corrections reform. There's a lot on the disability advocacy and policy plate at all times. And we're just trying to do our best to keep it all in focus and work with stakeholders, work with people with lived experience, work with self-advocates, you know, advocates to make sure that we're, we're trying to tell these 160 elected officials of ours in Tallahassee how the state feels and uh, you know, make sure that they have the best information to make the best decisions. We appreciate that. Beyond, you know, beyond that and just uh, you know, eye budget issues, and it's, it's a busy year. There's a lot going on. You're absolutely right. Um, just before we go, we want to remind everybody to please go ahead and register for the Family Cafe. Yes, another question we get here a lot. I know, we what do. is happening? with the annual family cafe. So yes, registration for the annual family cafe is open yes. at familycafe.net. So if you Currently. haven't registered for the event, please go do that today. And just to answer every question that everybody has, yes, we are going to have a live event this year. Um, it may look a little bit different, but uh, there will be some some version of a live event that will happen. We've had, we've had a lot of people register already. We hope by June, um, that it, whoever needs the vaccine will have gotten it, but we are going to have a live event. And we will also probably be broadcasting that as well. So for people that aren't comfortable to come, um, we, they will be able to watch part of it too, but we're gonna be in Orlando. So please go ahead and register and uh, and join us. And the, date, the date for that again, uh, if you don't know, that's June 11th through 13th, and it's at the Hyatt Regency Orlando. And as Joe mentioned, we're kind of hammering out the details about yeah. what it's going to look like, how many people might fit, and how we can make it accessible to everyone, whether they're able to attend in person or not. So stay tuned for more details about that. We have to sort of plan for the event like it's happening right now. Uh, and hopefully by June, maybe we'll get freed up a little bit, but but we're ready. Right. We're ready. We're working very hard to make that happen this year. We really want to. And worst case scenario, we'll just send Joe to everybody's yeah, house individually. So, oh. you know, you might get a knock on the door from Joe, he might just show up at your house to give you your own personal annual family cafe in your living room. Yeah, I'll give all 200 breakout <laughs> sessions in, in, in quick format. Well, listen, guys, we really appreciate you. We thank you very much, Jeremy. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I think that's about it. What do we, hey, don't forget, idecideflorida.org. Please take a look at that. We really look forward to hearing how this issue plays out this year. Viviana, Michael, we appreciate you guys being with us very much. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today on the Disability Advocacy Hour podcast. Happy to have you, and uh, hopefully you'll be back for more next time. Yes. Thanks very, very much, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Go Mets. Ha.